This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, this is Inside Story with Sharmila Ganesan. Tonight, a continuation of our 2023 resolutions for ministries with a focus on the Ministry of Communications and Digital. So first, we'll be discussing the digital aspects in terms of infrastructure, security and access. And then after that, what should the focus be for the media and media freedoms? So tell us, what should the Ministry of Communications and Digital prioritize? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08 and uh, as we've been saying all week, we have a bunch of new ministers and ministries. And so uh, the Ministry of Communications and Digital is actually the latest iteration of what was previously known as the Ministry of Communications and Multimedia. And the minister, of course, is Fami Fazil, uh, Deputy Tioni Cheng. And uh, we recently had Fami on this week uh, on the Breakfast Grill earlier this week. And he talked about what his priorities uh, would be as the new minister. So Fami started off by talking about the role that his ministry has in the development of the nation and how this shapes the kind of policy he would want to push forward. And he emphasized that the Department of Data Protection, as well as Cybersecurity Malaysia, would be playing a pivotal role in ensuring safer digital spaces in Malaysia. Of course, it's, it's, a, it's a split between what we know traditionally as, as you know conventional, traditional broadcast with uh, what now we're seeing to be something that people are calling the digital economy, which for many people, um, many economists even, uh, it could mean different things yeah, uh, for different, different people. But um, it's also about um, infrastructure, you know, and uh, it's also about utility and it's about development. Um, it's about freedom of speech, freedom of the press, but it's also about freedom from fear of fake news. So it's balancing between what's in the law and also what we would like to see in terms of development for the country. So it's quite, I wouldn't say a hodgepodge, you know, it's, it's, it's really quite a plethora of um, agencies, departments, some of which are, are very, very interesting. Like, uh, you know, uh, I, all of the agencies are still the same as before, but I think some which I would like to put front and centre this time round mm-hmm. um, under this administration would be uh, the Department of Data Protection as well as Cybersecurity Malaysia. So these two, I feel for me, will play quite a pivotal role because uh, even as an MP, I have been quite critical about how between 2017 and 2021 and 2022, uh, there were on average 20 million sets of personal data leaked every year. Uh, so this is a huge number. Mm. And, you know, even up until last week, we're still hearing about uh, incidences of whether recent or, or you know, um, um, old data that's resurfacing. So this is a major concern. So we can't talk about digital economy if you can't keep the, the digital space safe. So to me, this would be one of the key priority areas. 
Next, Fahmi discussed the plans to review the 5G implementation and he said that engagement sessions had been done with DMB, DNB and he said that the issues pre- uh, that that were present involved the speed of the rollout, but that DNB had said that they'd achieved 50% coverage of populated areas. Fami also explained the importance of, quote-unquote, fibrizing the 5G towers, and if there were any complaints about 5G still being 30 to 40 Mbps, it was because those towers hadn't been fibrized yet. Fami also touched on the importance of media freedom and how it intersects with newer forms of digital media and said that he was planning on engaging with social media companies to oversee issues like misinformation. When you look at the evolution of uh, some of these platforms, uh, Meta, for example, has gone through um, the American presidential elections and Brexit. And we saw in, in those two instances, there was a response from the respective jurisdictions uh, about the spread of uh, certain what they would call fake news. And as a result, Meta responded and adapted mm-hmm. yeah, the, their algorithm and their AI. Um, I think TikTok perhaps is not there yet. Um, And that's why for some, they feel that TikTok today is what Facebook was in 2016, 2017, before uh, the kind of internal changes uh, in terms of algorithm Mm. uh, happened. Mm -hmm. So we would continue our engagements. I would like to see freedom of expression untouched, uh, but we draw a line. Mm. You know, if anything breaches the peace, if anything threatens public security, then the government will have to take a step and put a stop. That was Minister of Communications and Digital, Fami Fatzil. If you want to listen to the whole interview, you can look up Comms Chief Fami Fatzil on Policy Priorities for the Digital Age on bfm.my or on our BFM app. And that leads in quite nicely to the rest of today's Inside Story, where we're going to talk about resolutions we'd like the Ministry of Communications and Digital to put in place. And so uh, we'll be very shortly joined by Dr. Rachel Gong, who is Deputy Director of the Kazana Research Institute. Uh, But in the meantime, we'd like to hear from you as well. What should the Ministry of Communications and Digital prioritize? You can call 777-332-900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. This is Inside Story. Building fit Malaysians, BFM 89.9. It is 6.14. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And we're talking about what we'd like to see the Ministry of Communications and Digital prioritize in the coming year. This is part of our mini-series on uh, resolutions for our various ministries. Do keep sending your thoughts through. What should the Ministry of Communications and Digital prioritize? You can call us, you can WhatsApp us, you can send us a voice note or tweet us. Joining us now on the line is Dr. Rachel Gong, Deputy Director at the Kazana Research Institute. Uh, Rachel, good to have you with us. Hi, Shamila. Thanks for having me. So first up, uh, talk to us about some of the key challenges that we currently have when it comes to our digital infrastructure. Sure. Um, in general, actually, we have quite good uh, macro metrics uh, in terms of internet coverage, right? We talk about having 96% of um, 4G in populated areas and over 130% um, mobile broadband subscription. But as most of us know firsthand, we don't have great end user experience. Um, in terms of you know broadband speed, Jandela actually reports that we have on average 47 megabits per second um, and Ookla's sort of crowdsourcing uh, user-reported metrics come in at about 30 uh, megabits per second. But KRI research has shown that even in KL, sometimes people have trouble just getting connected at all. And we know that infra is especially challenging um, in rural and remote areas. 
but to be fair to uh, the government and telcos and infrastructure developers, a lot of factors really affect the end user experience and digital infrastructure is only one of them. There are other factors such as device quality and network congestion and you know things like buildings and mountains getting in the way that also affect our digital infrastructure. So let's talk about that controversial controversial 5G network rollout, right? It's been put under review now by the government. What do you think should be some of the considerations in this review, especially when it comes to addressing these issues of transparency? Yeah, I I think for me, one of the really interesting and important areas to consider is what is the long-term plan for how the 5G network uh, in terms of bandwidth and spectrum is going to be distributed and maintained? Um, what's the they have talked about you know equity sharing and, and things like that but um, I think it needs to be more transparent uh, how that's going to be managed especially since um, internet access has been uh, determined to be a public utility so I think the challenge here is you know government may say right so some sort of internet access is a public utility public utility and uh, there should be availability for that but it may wind up being 4g and not 5g and so then there could be a potential worsening of the digital divide if some people will be able to access 5G and others can't. And so that long-term plan becomes quite important in terms of setting the stage for how Malaysia's digital transformation is going to go. So Minister Fami Fadzil has also brought up how only 87% of the towers were fibrized and said that this would cause that slowdown in internet speed for users. Why is this issue of internet speed important to be addressed? Right. So it comes back here to that end user experience that we were talking about. So this idea of um, the fiberization of towers uh, is basically uh, what that means is um, the process of connecting all the different um, infrastructure and telco towers with each other using optical optical fiber cables. And that's fiberization. So if only 87% of them are connected, that means 13% are still using sort of like wireless um, transfer from one to the other, which is where you might be losing some performance and some data, and that's what's causing the problem um, or affecting end users. And so that's why kind of fixing that and getting uh, as many towers as possible fiberized will really improve the overall um, network structure. Now, this... um... When it comes to the implementation of the internet, some of the more pressing concerns involve economic disparity, you know, which then leads to um, inter- internet access in rural places, affordability of data plans. What do you think is the best way for the ministry to tackle these issues effectively? Yeah, thanks for that question. I think that's really important because it speaks to this idea of the digital divide. And there's actually, you know, Kerais has published some research on this that looks at how the digital divide goes beyond this access and affordability issue into application and ability, effectively the digital literacy, digital divide as well. And so there's a lot of ground to cover here, um, but let me try and highlight um, some points. Uh, first of all, around uh, affordability. So what Kiara's research has shown is that uh, insofar as data plans go, while Malaysia's data plans are not, you know, bottom dollar cheap, they're actually relatively affordable on on a global benchmark, uh, which basically means that about um, one gigabyte of data, of mobile broadband data is priced at 2% or less of average monthly income, which is determined to be an affordable um, sort of range by the United Nations um, Broadband Sustainability, um, the Broadband Commission for Sustainable Development and their goals. So in terms of... uh, 
broadband data plans were doing relatively well in terms of affordability. The challenge is when it comes to fixed broadband. Because what happens typically for Malaysians who are mobile first is we'll buy a mobile data plan. We'll use this when we're out and about during the day, but you come home and you want a more um, stable, higher speed plan, which is typically um, achieved through fixed broadband. And then you effectively, effectively have to buy a second plan. And that's where the affordability problem comes in. Uh, so it's not so much that the, the mobile data is unaffordable, it's having high uh, speed and regular access at home that is proving challenging. In addition to that sort of data affordability challenge, there's also the question of quality devices, um, up-to-date, uh, you know, more secure devices that are 5G compatible. All those devices are slightly more expensive and prove to be a little bit of a challenge for um, Malaysia's population. Um, and then, of course, we're also looking at the digital literacy concerns and uh, what it means for people to be aware of all these data privacy breaches that the minister was talking about and what it means um, you know, that they have to be aware of different types of scams and different types of people fishing for the information and so on. So I think the ministry uh, really has to approach this issue on those three fronts, um, access in terms of improving infrastructure, the affordability that looks more at the fixed broadband options and devices rather than just um, mobile data plans, and in terms of um, improving um, sort of digital systems usage by improving the design of these systems to make them more user-friendly and more intuitive for people who may not be uh, digitally savvy or as familiar with digital technologies. And from the public side to improve um, literacy and to improve awareness of the kinds of dangers and risks that are out there. So speaking of data breaches, right, um, the minister did speak about that quite a bit. And he pointed out that there's been allegedly 100 million data breach cases since 2017. Could you help us contextualise those numbers and what they say about our data security? Yeah, um, I I absolutely agree with um, the minister's concern on this. And I'm glad that he's taking um, steps and and is making it a priority to really improve data security and cybersecurity. Um, the slightly different take perhaps that I would have on it is that in terms of being concerned that our data is being given away, that uh, people have information about us that they might use for all sorts of nefarious purposes, is that we don't have to really think about data breaches for that to happen. Just by virtue of us giving away a lot of our personal data in terms of, say, social media or um, you know, signing up for loyalty programs or um, making reservations at different restaurants. So now there's a you know a sort of eating out profile of us based on our phone numbers and things like that. We're already giving out a lot of data. So in, in terms of that sort of um, concern that other people have our data, I think there's more to be concerned about than just the data breaches. And so actually one area that would be interesting um, for us to look into from a policy standpoint is tr- really trying to understand the AI governance and and big data usage of all the data that's floating around out there. Um, And to do that, I think what we need, first of all, is better metrics on the extent of the problem. So let's start with specifically the data breaches. Um, What's being breached? What types of of companies generally? um, What's that data being used for? How does it translate into scams? Um, And then we need laws that sort of require companies to inform users when there's a data breach so that people can be aware, oh, I might be at risk, my data might have been exposed, I need to be a bit more suspicious of, you know, this unsolicited offer and so on. So in a larger sense, could you help us understand then what it means to make digital spaces safer and what that would translate into for the average person? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the minister has already alluded to this a little bit when he talks about uh, you know misinformation and the sort of how that can potentially lead to polarization and and incite um, you know hatred and, and discrimination and that sort of thing. And in addition to that, we see a lot of online behaviors that can be damaging, um, bullying or intimidation, uh, doxing, those kinds of um, behaviors that can really make the online experience um, quite traumatic for a lot of people. Um, again, you know, I come back to a lot of our interactions online now are governed by predictive um, algorithms that aim to increase platform engagement, particularly on social media. And so in addition to making sure that, you know, data, our data are safe uh, when they're in databases like banks and things like that, um, looking into how um, AI governance should be handled and what sort of um, sort of standards and regulations should be put around um, social media algorithms is also something that's quite important. And a few other countries have started looking into that as well. Um, so that's definitely an area to be explored. So FAMI has also said that the Department of Data Protection and Cybersecurity Malaysia will be playing a role in improving our digital spaces. How would you like to see these two bodies function? What would you like to see them carry out? Yeah, I think, well, so not just them. I think there's already um, a review and a revision of the privacy and data protection laws. Um, so their input into that would be, I think, quite helpful in um, I, I think some of these laws around data regulations and data privacy have also got to include non-transactional data, which is currently um, what is covered. They need to expand beyond that and they need to include non-commercial players, which could also mean including the government and including non-profits. It really has to be an all of society effort into um, protecting our data. And that's where the Department of Data Protection can really come in and, and you know, push that agenda. Um, Similarly, as mentioned before, having laws around the disclosure of data breaches, I think is an important thing to hold companies accountable and to make um, users aware so that we can all kind of help protect each other. Um, and I think that the third thing, which I, I think that there's already a 997 hotline from the National Scam Response Center. But basically, this is a, a step towards having an easy um, public complaints or uh, public redress reporting system um, that you know, can, makes it easier for people to sort of report that something has happened. Um, I think, you know, making that process easier and expanding it beyond just um, bank fraud into various different kinds of digital safety issues um, would be helpful as well. Although, of course, a lot of thought would have to go into that. And that's where the uh, these two departments, Department of Data Protection and Cybersecurity, can come in and play a role around thinking about how to strategize that. So there is, of course, a lot of work, um, a lot a lot to be done when it comes to boosting our digital systems. What would you like to see the ministry focus on in the coming year? I think, well, there's a couple of, of different things, but I think really it revolves around the digitalization of public sector services. Because to me, that's, that's an area that everybody is going to interact with, right? When we talk about things like... Um, social media, maybe they're just people who don't use that or only use certain types. Or we talk about, you know, advances in, in technologies like cryptocurrencies and so on, which again, only a few people use. But when you talk about public services, this is something that everybody uses. So in order to uh, kind of get the whole nation on board with digital transformation to help improve public literacy, to, you know, make sure that all these systems are supported, the focus around healthy um, and comprehensive digitalization of public sector services is where I think they need to go. And one of the big ways uh, to do this, I think, is in having better design, better systems design, particularly in making things interoperable. 
And you know, one example of this, I think, is a parking act. You see right now that a lot of um, local councils have shifted away from either parking meters or uh, parking coupons into parking apps. But a lot of these apps don't talk to each other across state lines. And so every time you sort of cross a state line, uh, you have to download a new app. And so it's kind of improving this sort of interoperability, especially again, for people who might not be as digitally savvy or as comfortable with using different kinds of apps and then have to switch interfaces and things like that. Making that more user-friendly, designing it better, all that I think is um, a key area of focus that could really help smoothen the digital transformation process as a whole. Rachel, we have just about a minute left, but I wanted to ask you, with something like digital, with many of the um, details being quite opaque to the general members of public, what does accountability or holding someone accountable look like within this context? Uh, holding someone accountable in terms of, so just going back to the conversation we're having earlier about data breaches. Yes, and, and I suppose in fulfilling some of these aims that the ministry is talking about. Yeah, I think so with respect to, for example, the media concerns, um, sort of there's been a lot of um, use of the uh, CMA, the Communications and Multimedia Act. So, for example, when somebody says something, um, that act is always used as the basis for um, sort of trying to hold them accountable and saying, oh, you said something that was, you know, offensive or indecent or, or something like that. Um, and I think, you know, that needs to be looked into a little bit and perhaps revised into, well, what is the line between, as the minister has said, between freedom of expression and having that sort of freedom against, you know, let's be, let's be sensitive and let's be careful about what, um, what we're allowed to say and what we're not, right? So it's drawing that fine line of balance. And here's where I think really engaging with different stakeholders um, in that space and getting, you know, more um, on the ground input um, would be helpful uh, in terms of improving accountability. Rachel, thanks for speaking with us today. That was Dr. Rachel Gong, Deputy Director at the Kazana Research Institute. Uh, do keep your thoughts coming and keep it here, BFM 89.9. Become fabulous millionaires. BFM 89.9. It is 6.38. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And we are talking about the Ministry of Communications and Digital today. Um, for our resolutions we'd like to see in 2023 miniseries, uh, do keep sending your thoughts through. What should the Ministry of Communications and Digital prioritize? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. We're getting... A number of messages about um, internet speed, uh, connectivity. Let's start with this one from uh, Lukman, who says MCMC needs to improve. Uh, MCMC needs to improve stable connectivity and uh, cheaper services. What Fami Fazil uh, said in his recent announcement is not new. It's been rolled out before. If these two are resolved, the digital economy will will improve. Uh, you know, Lokman, you're right. I mean, this isn't by any means a new announcement by a minister. It's just that uh, despite repeated um, talk of improving uh, connectivity, making it more affordable, more accessible, we haven't really seen much being done in this regard, which is why it keeps coming up again and again. Um, I really like that link to the digital economy because... 
uh, it is one thing to say uh, more people should be becoming part of the digital economy, that this is the future, that there's so many opportunities. But if we don't offer people cheap and convenient and consistent ways within which to use the internet uh, for their businesses, how do we expect them to participate in the digital economy? Uh, we have uh, John actually making a similar point, saying anyone who's travelled around our country will be able to see the difference in internet speeds and access. And it feels kind of egregious for some of us to be looking forward to 5G, while others are still just hoping and holding on for a stable internet to do, well, anything. If we plan to push for the digital economy to be a thing, if we accept that being able to be online is a human right, then we need to ensure that access is as equal as possible around the country. On top of which, if you've experienced truly fast internet in countries like South Korea, for example, then the slowness of what we have in Malaysia and the drain that it is on our productivity is a real problem. Hoping to see these addressed. Those are some excellent points, John. Um, very much uh, on board with you in terms of uh, the speed that is possible in other countries. And I'd like to add on to that how affordable the internet can be in many other countries. In countries like India, for instance, uh, where in the last uh, decade, access to the internet has become so affordable and it has become so ubiquitous. Um, and that's primarily because there's a recognition that if you want people to participate in the digital economy, you need to make it both simple and affordable for them to do so. Um, and I also completely agree, um, especially given that we've just come out of these two years of the pandemic, in terms of that notion of um, that, that almost odd fixation on having 5G for those of us in the urban centres. When we continue to hear of students in rural areas um, not being able to uh, go online, having to climb on trees to make sure that they get signals. So absolutely um, agree. Um, and if you'd like to weigh in, um, whether on the notion of internet connectivity, uh, how expensive uh, internet continues to be for many parts, uh, many parts of the country, uh, do weigh in. But in a larger sense, we are also asking you, what would you like to see the Ministry of Communications and Digital prioritise? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, we'll get to your messages after this. BFM eighty nine point nine. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. It's 6.47. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and we're talking about resolutions we'd like to see the Ministry of Communications and Digital put in place. Uh, so keep sending your thoughts our way. What should the Ministry of Communications and Digital prioritise? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018789 tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, we had a number of people earlier talking about about, uh, digital connectivity and uh, those continue to be um, you know I think a number of people still bringing that up so we have Ellie saying I want to see issues involving internet connectivity resolved I feel like I still see people complaining about lack of coverage in urban areas so what about rural areas then the pandemic brought to light these there were so many problems for students in these areas to go to their zoom classes to download things to upload assignments you can't blame students for bad performance if they don't have the same access access as everyone else. I know this is about education, but we are becoming such a digitally reliant society. You need to make sure everyone gets the right to internet access. Uh, 
100% Ellie, uh, that phrase you use, digitally reliant, um, I think is really key because yes, your example refers to education, but I don't think we can any longer um, silo digital access as being only something relevant to particular areas or industries because it's used now for everything. It's used for financial access. It's used for education. It's used for health. Um, and so we can no longer pretend that it's okay for us to have such um patchy access to the internet. Um, you know, this. Uh, I believe it was John earlier who pointed out that um, internet access is a human right. Um, and, and I really do think that that's the case. Um, I think that we need to think about access to the internet as something that is a conduit to um, access to a whole lot of other things that are so much more clearly human rights, education, health, um, being able to express yourself. And so I 100% agree. I think this is an issue that is very, very urgent for us to manage and improve. Um, some other thoughts when it comes to the Ministry of Communications and Digital. Herbie says... This might be unpopular to say on BFM, but can one wish for more censorship or control? I don't know if this necessarily falls under this ministry, but I remember an interview in the past about uh, the content code. And maybe because it's the new year and everyone's trying to push a service that they assure me will 100% get me to my 2023 goals, I want to see tighter controls on what influencers are allowed to market and how clearly they have to say that they've been paid for something. So, Herbie, you know, I say this... I would not wish for more censorship or control, but I think the point you're making is actually very well made because that's not actually censorship, that's transparency. Um, and I I think this is actually something that falls under the content code. We have done an interview about it if you're interested to look it up. Um, but asking people to declare openly online if they are being paid to put out a, a message, um, to also have controls in terms of who can say what, for instance, when it comes to the marketing of um, supplements or the marketing of um, products that claim to have health benefits or um, do particular things like slimming teas. I think these are all things that need tighter controls. For so long, the online space has remained um, a little bit of a wild west and I think we're only just catching up. Um, I agree that's something that definitely needs to um, have stronger guidelines and stronger implementation. Um, we have, let's see, uh, Leng saying, affordable internet in Sabah and Sarawak, charge and imprison mule account holders, um, allow them a six-month grace period to surrender. Mule accounts are the foundations of online scams. Uh, affordable internet in Sabah and Sarawak, completely agree, Leng. Um, and, and for that matter, for all parts of the country that yet do not have affordable and consistent internet connectivity. Um, as to the mule accounts being the foundation of online scams, um, I agree that there needs to be better control when it comes to holders of mule accounts. Um, but I also think that um, it can be more complicated than them being entirely responsible because as we've heard, um, often there are entire syndicates and networks behind these online scams. So um, I do think that uh, it, it, while there needs to be better laws and better implementation in terms of how we practice digital safety, um, I think holding just mule accounts, the responsible for the whole thing, is perhaps a little bit unfair. Um, we have... Um, let's see. Oh, we do have a voice note. Um, oh, 
we are still getting the voice note ready. Um, but in we have, let's see, May saying, okay, so what are we actually going to do about scammers? I don't know about everyone else, but I'd like to be able to trust that when I pick up my phone, it's going to be for something important and not some muffled voice telling me about some purchase I didn't make or some offer I don't want. Every time I hear about people losing their life savings to these things, it absolutely breaks my heart. The minister has a personal connection to this, so I'm really hoping we see some innovative, sharp solutions here. I got nothing but hope. I hope. May? I hope too. And it does seem like the minister intends to take this seriously. As you said, he's uh, gone on record to talk about how his mum had been a victim of... um, a phone scam as well. Um, so hopefully, yes, it is something that we'll see more done about. Uh, now we do have this voice note. This is from Vicky. I agree with our uh, Minister uh, Fami Fazil on the po- things he takes are important. However, concurrent to this, I feel that Malaysia should adopt the international web content accessibility guidelines. We are decades behind other countries that have adopted them, but not Malaysia. And this has created lots of barriers for the disabled because we did not uh, adopt these guidelines. The uh, developers don't have don't know how to code in a way that is accessible to the uh, users of assistive technology digital assistive technology um, so it affected education work shopping you know all sorts of things online that we do uh, because the of the developers not doing it in the right way, assistive tool users are having such a lot of problems. So adopt the web content accessibility guidelines. Vicky, thank you so much for that and uh, bringing up such an important point that um, I agree that often in this push towards uh, digital uh, connectivity, we tend to forget about accessibility issues, not just physical geographical accessibility, but also accessibility when it comes to uh, people with disabilities. And you're right, we are actually very far behind when it comes to uh, this sort of technology, which is already available. Um, And so should technically be easy enough to import and implement for us. Um, I would definitely like to see more being done in this regard. Um, We have, let's see, just to close off on this side of things, um, and also a message that um, connects to what we're going to be talking about after the break, Din says, I hope to see a ministry that champions press freedom at all times, not just when it's convenient or politically expedient. It's something we've not had as a priority in our country for a long time, and I think we're already seeing the ill effects of not having a media that people deem trustworthy with the spread of fake news or alternative truths or whatever else you want to call it. And ideally, whatever's put in place to enshrine press freedom would also outlast administrations because if not what is the point din are you not going to hear any arguments from me i completely agree with the ministry that champions press freedom Uh, the minister has said that they are going to be uh, looking at this talking to stakeholders so once again as our listener earlier said i live in hope Uh, do keep those thoughts coming what would you like to see the ministry of digital at communications and digital prioritize you can call double seven double three two nine hundred send us a voice note or whatsapp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine tweet us at bfm radio after this we'll be speaking about press freedom and what needs to be done there bfm 89.9
Bruce Freddie Morrissey, BFM 89.9. It is 7.08. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila. And we're continuing our focus on the Ministry of Communications and Digital. Now, uh, to close off that conversation, we're going to focus on media freedom. Um, and you know, so such a, convers- a conversation that's been going on for so long with what seems like very little progress made towards that, um, towards the um, loosening of our media control laws. And in a larger sense, also... Uh, empowering the press to be able to do the job that they're there to do. And so keep those thoughts coming as well, uh, not just on the ministry in general, but what you'd like to see in terms of our press freedom laws and um, how they can be changed, improved, how you'd like to see this moving forward. Uh, keep those thoughts coming. That number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Premesh Chandran, CEO and co-founder of Malaysia Kinney. Premesh, good to have you with us. Hi, hi, Shamira. Sorry about that. Just a quick correction. I actually retired from Malaysia Kinney earlier this year. So, um, I'm no longer CEO of, of Malaysia Kini. Oh, thank you for the clarification, Premish. Um, so just to get right down to it, with a new minister in place who so far at least seems pretty supportive of the ideals of media freedom, what are some of the most urgent reforms that you'd like to see prioritised? Well, uh, you know, we've earlier proposed the setting up of a media council. This is not new. This has been proposed since the, um, the 1970s, actually. Um, but, you know, the previous Pakistan Harapan government it was part of the manifesto. And again, I think Fahmi Fazil um, is supportive. So that's something we feel is a key element to um, to have the industry come together under some form of media council um, so that they can work with government to actually enhance uh, the media industry. I think within the industry itself, there are two key points that we need to address urgently. One is the whole question of media sustainability. As you know, um, you know, it's very tough for, for print and online media these days, um, and that needs to be addressed. Um, uh, some formulas people are looking at is negotiating with social media organizations um, like Facebook and Google um, and get a better cut of on online revenue. Uh, but there are other models as well. I think media sustainability is really a, a key issue if you want the industry to prosper. Uh, and the second is really this rise of disinformation and, or fake news, right? We see a lot of it online uh, in various formats. And really, uh, there's really no, uh, has not been a serious attempt to curtail and manage and improve, um, you know, the, the kind of news media environment. Um, you know, with COVID, we saw a lot of uh, fake news out there, disinformation, and it's going to grow not only from local sources, but we also see the participation of international uh, generation of fake news seeping into the country, like around the Ukraine war, um, etc. So I think these are the two key issues that we see that the um, we'd like to see the ministry uh, address. So the deputy minister, Thioni Cheng, has said that there are hopes to set up a media council, uh, not a new suggestion. It's been floating around for quite a while. Talk to us about the value of having this council in place. How would it change our media landscape? Well, at the moment, the media laws are divided uh, under the uh, uh, multi, uh, MCMCD and the Commission of Multimedia Ministry, as well as the Home Ministry which governs uh, printing. So on one hand, you have very strict uh, uh, laws around printing, print uh, media, and, 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 and very different laws around 
online media. I think that has to be brought together. So that's the first thing that we're looking at is actually, you know, one set of laws for the, the, the media industries and to give us one contact point. And I think that with the with the industry, you know, you have the publishers, the media uh, owners and publishers, you have the professionals, the journalists and editors who, um, you know, uh, um, uh, do the work in the industry, but also the consumer is a very important stakeholder, right? Uh, we see a lot of individuals, you know, having issues with the media, complaints against the media, and there's really no way to seek uh, redress effectively. Defamation cases going to court take a very long time and are very expensive. Um, so I think that having an, uh, a media council that bring these three players together, the owners, the professionals, as well as um, the audience stakeholders, as well as things like media academics and civil society advocacy organizations, really creates a, a strong forum uh, for us to debate um, these changes in media and to have you know, the best way forward. Um, so that's what we think the value of the Media Council represents. Do you think there's enough political will this time around to see that through? Well, we hope so. We, we are, you know, the, uh, the current government, Perpaduan, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's an interesting makeup. We hope that the various parties uh, comes together. They also have to understand the cost of actually not moving forward. We, you know, you can see the media has changed so much in the last 10 to 15 years, but it's still going to change a lot in going forward. Um, and if we don't really understand how, for example, you know, meta information, uh, uh, um, uh, virtual reality, uh, you know, uh, augmented reality, other forms of communication technology coming into play actually affects perceptions, um, you're going to have a splintering of society, which you see, you know, in US today and many other places. And without a certain, you know, understanding of the facts, uh, 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 without a good room to have a discussion, have a debate, we're going to have a very fractured society and that's very dangerous for the country. It'll create a stalemate and the country will not be able to move forward. So, you know, we really hope that the government takes the issue seriously and helps us move forward um, in terms of the media landscape. We have a message from a listener, Kamar Nizam, who says, media freedom must be talked together with media responsibility. Freedom without responsibility is prone to abuse by all parties. Any thoughts on that? Yes, I think you know, nobody is claiming to have some sort of absolute freedom where we can publish, you know, lies and hatred. Um, that's never been the case. So, for example, if you look at um, the proposed uh, Media Council uh, Act or Bill, uh, there is a provision for a code of conduct. We definitely believe that, you know, with power comes responsibility and media have to wield that power responsibly. What we, we disagree is that the media is governed uh, by the government uh, and that we see is dangerous because uh, part of the role of the media is to hold the government of the, uh, to account. Um, so there are, very, uh, there are very many means for, uh, for media to be professional and responsible and impartial. Um, and this is what we see uh, you know, in many parts of the world. So definitely I agree with, uh, you know, with power comes responsibility um, and there are definitely ways of, of, of getting to that destination. So in the last few years, we've seen cases of media practitioners being harassed or questioned by the authorities for their work. What sorts of initiatives would you like to see the ministry put in place to guarantee the long-term protection of journalists from these sorts of retaliatory action and beyond just the government of the day? I think we have seen, you know, uh, many journalists get get, um, called in by the police. And sometimes it's really a form of what we believe is a form of harassment or intimidation for reports that they have been they have produced. Um, you know, if there is a journalist or a media company that has you know 
reported wrongly or fake news, there should be a proper procedure uh, of which, uh, you know, that media can be summoned. Uh, and, you know, uh, um, um, you know, an ombudsman uh, body or a body made up of the media industries themselves can always discuss these issues, you know, with the media concern or the journalist concern. So we should allow journalists to, to act professionally and do the job well and protect them as people who inform society and, and you know, uh, 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 create the views or and opinions within society and not, you know, not use um, uh, the powers of the state to harass journalists, to make them kowtow uh, and, and, you know, and censor themselves. So we need to fight against self-censorship and promote, you know, journalism as, as something which is done professionally and independently. We've also seen cases of journalists being doxxed, uh, being online, uh, harassed online. At the moment, are there enough law, enough within our laws to protect journalists from this sort of treatment? And if not, what else is needed? I think that that's a very good point. Uh, in the online harassment of journalists or whistleblowers or others who you know take up an issue and voice out an issue, it's very tough. You you there's a lot of attacks online and um, defamatory and aspersions cut. Uh, and really, today there's very little defense, uh, um, and it does uh, become a form of intimidation um, against you know professionals who are voicing you know very important opinions. So we will definitely look at that as part of uh, the media council in order to make sure there is room for journalists to do their work uh, professionally without this sort of intimidation. So definitely, that's one of the issues that we need to tackle. Now, when it comes to social media platforms, right, the idea of who is considered, quote-unquote, the media has also been shifting and changing because, for instance, we've seen in recent days artists, activists, commentators being hauled up for expressing their views or commenting on particular issues. How can media freedom laws account for these sorts of uh, things, especially considering that the online landscape is constantly evolving as well? That's a very good point. Um, you know, freedom of speech is protected by the Constitution. Uh, as such, we can't say that, you know, or if you're not a journalist, you know, you can't say something or report online because that's your constitutional right. So what we have done uh, in the Media Council Bill is that we've offered more incentives for media to uh, to be professional and to join the Media Council. So certain, for example, certain uh, level of uh, immunity um, uh, from defamation cases or allowing such cases to go towards arbitration before it goes to court certain types of incentives in terms of training of journalists, et cetera. So what we're saying is that we you can't demand that, you know, every individual or every organization uh, be part of a, of a protective environment, but we can encourage it, encourage it and provide incentives. Um, and there will always be those who want to, want to stay outside, uh, and that we understand. But hopefully the incentives enough are enough so that the media can come um, can come together as an industry um, and, and to move forward together. So what else can the ministry be doing to continue supporting the growth of a vibrant local media landscape? I, I, I think the, you know, the Media Council is obviously the most important one uh, and then working uh, with recommendations from the Media Council. But, you know, moving on from that, we do uh, remember that you know, Malaysia is a very small market, a very small country. Uh, Malaysia, you know, which is, uh, which is multi-ethnic, multicultural, multilingual population. It's a great hub for Asia. We always say, you know, Malaysia, truly Asia. Um, and, you know, with uh, a more closed environment in Hong Kong, with more uh, tougher laws in Singapore, Malaysia is really the ideal location for more global and international media. 
reporting not in, not only in English but in Indonesian, in in Hindi, in Chinese, in various different languages, which can be done using uh, uh, online technologies and te uh, digital technologies these days. So I would really uh, you know welcome the government to look beyond just local media and see how the you know we can create use. Um, Set Malaysia as a hub for regional and international media. I think there's great potential for that to happen. And if that grows, the local media industry will grow as well. Um, so I think those two, those two things can go together. Premish, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you so much, Amila. Have, have a good year ahead. You too. Thank you. That was Premish Chandran, co-founder and former CEO of Malaysia Kini and currently the Asia-Pacific Executive Director of Open Society Foundations. Uh, keep those thoughts coming. Um, how? What would you like to see the Ministry of Communication and Digital prioritise in the coming year? Um, what are your thoughts on our media freedom laws? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.